into the podcast? Sure. All right. Hey, everybody. It's Alan. It's Brent. And we're here for episode... 45. 45 of A-B testing. I was just thinking, I thought 45 and just at this moment thought of like, the kids listening today won't remember these, but 45 records. Oh, man. The record's like a CD, but it's made of vinyl, and they had a big hole in the middle, and they played at 45 revolutions per minute. And, and you if you didn't have the freaking adapter, you couldn't play your 45. Yeah, I have it. I still have adapters. I'm sure you do. You're much more of an audiophile than I am. Yeah, I still have 45s. I'm sitting around. I have about 700 CDs sitting underneath my bed wondering what I should do with those. So I have this I have like this pile of 45s. A lot of them are collectibles. I used to get like these collectible import 45s, but I also have buried in there like a, a Van Halen Dance the Night Away 45. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I have all of the Van Halen stuff. That's great. That's up great. until they they uh changed to Van Hagar, which I was anti Van Hagar. I don't care about. Okay then. All right then. So, uh shall we begin? On our last episode, duh, duh, duh. There's, we don't have a recap because we don't have uh, – I, I don't know about you. I don't have retention beyond about 15 minutes, so I don't know what we talked about last time. But it was something around how to become data-driven. And I feel like we got a great start, but that maybe there's more we can talk about. So I'd like to continue that topic if you don't mind. I've written on the whiteboard – P-U-W-W-L-O, which I think means pick up where we left off. You want to start with the second one? No. Really? Okay. Because I, I can't. I'm, it's too early in the morning for me to do the song. <laughs> Later. That's a teaser. Me- <laughs> Later. All right. So last time, last time on episode 44. Shots. <laughs> we covered... Uh, as Alan just called out, how to begin this journey. And we we addressed it by talking about essentially leveraging the strengths of your team right now, beginning the journey. And uh, we spent uh, a good amount of time talking around how to kind of clear the way by connecting with your executive. Um, here I started, I, um, looked over our show notes. I actually re-listened to the episode. We have lots of great questions and comments up on the Slack channel. One of the three dot Slack dot com. Yes. Um, actually it occurred to me as well. We have a, a listener who up on Twitter is very actively, um, uh, stating what episode he's up to, and he's like up to 24. And he was asking a whole bunch of questions, and I'm like, why don't you just go to the Slack channel? And I realized, oh, if he's up on 24, he doesn't know the Slack channel exists. Maybe we should add that on A-B testing. It's, a, it's kind of a time paradox thing, right? It is. You, are, you giving, are you giving me web administration tips? Um, uh, requests. All right, maybe I can do that. Um, I'm taking volunteer webmasters as well. <laughs> um, maybe Percy will. Uh... Sure. <laughs> All right. So I was thinking about it, and um, 
one of the least useful things that I did over the weekend is um, lots of uh, catching up on Xbox. And those connections hit, and it, 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 it occurred to me that really what we're sort of talking about is not unlike uh, a tech tree from any game you've ever played ever, where what you're trying to do is master a particular skill, and then when you have enough uh, experience points... Enough mastery or experience points, sure. Right, then the next... Uh, element of the tree opens up. In, in general, um, some questions I, I thought about is, as you're pursuing, what exactly are you building? So what, I don't mean the product here, but I mean the the assets that you're putting together to be able to uh, do data analysis. Um that, of course, leads into what are you measuring. Another thought you need to think about is where does your team grow its competency next? All right, so let me just recap here. So you have – I remember the steps are data oblivious. Right. Then data – was it data aware? Data uh, no, that, that's the one I added in between. There's data oblivious. Then what, what happens next? Data oblivious, data aware. We'll go ahead and go with that. Then there's data-driven, then data-centric. Okay. So one of the techniques I like to help map out my tech tree, I like that, is I describe my current state, how my team works today, my desired state, and then I know there's like 150 different paths to get there, which is your tech tree. I like that analogy. So could you take a few minutes and describe what is the desired state? If you are a data-centric team firing on all cylinders, tell me what that looks like. Because I think a lot of people have, have a hard time imagining that. Data-centric team. Uh, first and foremost, uh, has a dependency on on the data. So the the... One high order bit is people feel like if they don't have the data, they can't move forward, right? So there is that dependency that you can um, you can use to detect. Number two, um, in a data centric team, uh, most organizations have lots and lots of data. You have billing data, you have customer data, you have operations data, you have uh, factory data. And what I mean by that is how well you're able to ship a new product. You'll have all of this data, and I'm barely touching on Okay, so I have a bunch of data and I'm dependent on it. You'll have all of this data integrated in some fashion such that there's a term called SSBI, which stands for self-service BI. And what that means is a person who doesn't have statistics or data science skills is able to consume the data and confidently and competently make 80% of the decisions with that data on their own. Okay. okay so the data See. has been integrated, it's been cur- curated and simplified – um, such that you can light that up. So to paraphrase so far again, because you use more words than I would, uh, 
I'm dependent on the data. I have a lot of it, and it's available in a format that can be consumed by anyone on the team, consumed and acted upon. Yeah. Uh, what else? Is that it? Competently as well. Because one of the problems with the data is formulas. Yeah, and and to tangentialize, is that a word? To, to tangent. We've made up words here before. Why not? Really? We have tons. Uh, now I forgot <laughs> what I was going to say. It's Tuesday morning after a long weekend. Uh, and the kids are back in school. Rough life. First world problem. Um, <laughs> so, oh, the tangent was, uh, that's important because I've seen... So many over the last 20 some odd years of being in software, people uh, using what they call confirmation bias, look at the data and make it and make it say what they want, what they want it to say versus being able to use the data to make actual competent decisions that actually are true. It's like um, years ago, I, I went to a leadership class and they gave me a definition of empowerment that I'm rather fond of, which is um, when you empower people, you are expressing a confidence in those people to make the same decisions you would in your absence. Awesome. If they had the same um, information. Okay. Is there so you can any- think of it here as sort of data empowerment. So... You, you, in that world, you're setting people up to be able to make the same analyses as a data science team would in the data science team's absence. So let me modify my paraphrase. So we have a lot of data, and I depend on it, and the data is consumable in such a way that anyone on the team can make uh, make similar decisions – Based on that data, yes. Anything else to it? the The last one that's uh, the next three things that I would say are that are critical. Number one, generally, when you start this journey, you're going to be working against what's known as cold path data, and cold path data okay. means it takes a while before the data itself. Yep, I, I get that. You're kind of back into the how you get there. But I want to. I want to make sure I understand what the desired state is. Are we done? So with- the desired state is near real time, real Think- near real time, hot path, hot path. A lot of actionability and decision makings is automated. So you have things like machine learning algorithms, or you have yeah, that's more the how. We can get there. I, I want to make sure I have a good decision that I can out because I really, for me, being able to describe this desired state of where you want to go in sort of an elevator pitch, I think, I think any leadership over any change requires being able to articulate exactly where you're going, and it's an adaptive problem, meaning we don't know exactly how we're going to get there, or if, or if the actual desired state is going to change slightly or more the, or more dramatically over time. But we want to have – being able to articulate that goal and being able to tell people whether it's um, an executive for ba- – no, for uh, – <laughs> I didn't want to drink. For um, uh, whether it's anybody on the team just to explain kind of where you're going. So 
we could talk about um, I, I love the idea of warm path, hot path, cold path. I want to talk about those. I used one time at Microsoft I used to hear it called fast path and slow path, but I, I like the terms warm, hot, and cold much better. You can explain what those are in a minute. Yep. Uh, but if I can. I have a bunch of data that I depend on or to do our job and everybody on the team has a way to consume that data in order to make the same decisions no matter who they are and those decisions are and, – and that data that we get is as close to real time as possible. That's a great state to be in. Yes. So I rely on this data coming in in real time. Like I know right away when something's going on and I can make the decision. You can make the decision. Jeff down the hall can make the decision. Cindy upstairs can make the same decision because that data is easily consumable and interpretable. The last constraint – or the last... Um, Just when I thought I'd get it nailed, you add yep. more crap. There's one more. I said three. You start when no, two. Well, you can't count. <laughs> the last one is event-driven responses. Um, so a lot of analytics will be, when you first start off, it will be everything's get pumped to, to a data store. Um, and it relies on a human to go in and do queries and say, hey, ooh, look, something happened two weeks ago. Here in this world, not only do you have uh, NRT or hot path, but you're going to have um, event-driven situations where a customer just did this and that kicked off on its own a whole new analytics path. I'm going to put that in the close to real time umbrella. Fair enough. So I don't have to modify and once again try and restate my desired state. No, and you did a very good job. Okay, no, this. I get and and one of the things we're doing here and what I do when Brent starts talking about either one he's talking about stuff I don't fully understand or two he just doesn't make any sense regardless, I try and paraphrase, parrot it back to him. It's one way to make sure I understand things, good technique to use. I'm sure all the all the three know how to do this, but it kind of makes sure I'm in, in the right ballpark. And it's it's useful for the three as well, since um, they're at least two days delayed on their ability to ask me questions. Are you making fun of my ability to get the podcast edited and out? Uh, no, maybe. Sometimes it takes, no. Sometimes it takes <laughs> a whole week. <laughs> All right. Depends um, how much it depends how much of your idiot stuff and coughing I have to edit out. So what Alan just walked through, um seems like ten minutes ago, is how do you know if when you've got there? We've already established Brent can't tell time. The Oh that that was before knowing the, the North Star knowing the North Star can be helpful. Um, I don't like the term North Star. I'm going to stick with desired state. I like current state, desired state, path. I'm just going to pick on everything you say for a while until I feel better about myself. <laughs> that shouldn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> Might take a long, long time. <laughs> um, so you're trying to understand what do we desired state. Okay. Um, and that frames it up nicely. One of the things from my experience, though, that if you do... In, in, I would say 70% of the time, expressing the full richness of the desired state when you are in a data oblivious team is a bozo bit flip, flipping moment. Um, that is so far out there, um, people can't 
can't really visualize how to get there from where they are at. Um, so I recommend a strategy uh, around, hey, those who are the leaders who are pulling together this, this strategy, um, don't go so far out of the box that you lose the attention of uh, what you hope to be your future customers. Um, instead, do around-the-box thinking, which is kind of what we've been talking about. It's establish where you are today and what is the next useful step that moves towards this, this long-term direction. And that's, that's how my exercise of current state, desired state works, is, is you don't – it's always a multi-step path to get from current to desired, and desired changes as you go along the way. Which isn't to say if people ask you, what's, what's your desired state? And, and I am totally okay if I give them an answer and they look at me like I have two heads. Right. Because I can move them gradually in that direction. I've done this before, and they get there and they go, holy heck. The other thing to, to assure them is that they are not going to get their value only once you've achieved that desired state. You're going, sure. You're going, no, you, you have to get value along the way. Otherwise, you can't, yeah. they, they won't continue the journey with you. Right. All right. So you brought up cold path, warm path, hot path. Do you want to go into that now? Sure. Do you want? Uh, so yes, for our for the three, should we just tell each each of them get one cold path, warm path, hot path? No. So what do you <laughs> mean by cold path, Brent? Cold path data uh, is the easiest way to qualify it. Is it is a a ton of data, and because it is a ton of data. It gets transmitted from your system into this final or this uh, final destination where people can use it. Um, so we have a big uh, data store that we've made in Microsoft for years. But you can think of a lot of people will use Hadoop or Elastic Log Search Solutions or Azure Data Lake. Or Azure Data Lake, um, I get yeah. I guess there's an opportunity for us to uh, <laughs> hawk our own wares. So but basically, some sort of massive storage where stuff sits for a while. Yeah, a, a large data warehouse, say based off of uh, SQL or an Oracle type solution. Okay, so when when the data gets from your product into those uh, storage locations, and it's a large amount of data. That's typically cold path. And it's called cold path because by the time you can use it, um, the the data is multiple days old. Okay. A bunch again to paraphrase, a bunch of data shoved into some big storage solution yep. where it sits for a while and becomes cold. Hot path is the re- the opposite of cold path. And it's so, so the data comes from the big storage thing and gets – no, no not, not quite that opposite. Hot path is a small amount of data that is – that lands in its store very quickly, usually within five minutes or less. And I would hope even faster if some of those things are like site availability. Yes. Um, the <clears> – <throat> It isn't very rich, but it can tell you things like, uh, for example, in Azure, 
we one of our big hot path signals is VM up or down. So it's basically a list of it's metrics in our team that we need to act on immediately. Yes. Um, so it's not everything you can measure. It's it's for us. It's mainly things around site performance and site availability. Now on Warm Path, there is um, of these names. Warm Path is where there's sort of the semantic religious war. Um, well, now I also I'm blown away. <laughs> there is something in software that has become a semantic religious war. Yeah, I know. Well, just a minute. Okay, go on. Yeah. Um, well, I cannot represent the other point of view because I... Because it's wrong and I semantically <laughs> and religiously disagree with it. Right. I, I, don't, I don't even pay attention to it. Um, <clears throat> so warm path is essentially when you mix cold and hot. Just like in my tub with my rubber ducky. Right. Um, so in the data path, there's, these, there's, there's generally two types of data. One's known as dimensional data and another one known as fact data. Fact data... Uh, is essentially transaction information. This event occurred on this time. Uh, this VM was up. This VM went down. That sort of thing. Okay. Dimensional data is the metadata. So, for example, which customer owns this VM? Okay. Um, so, a, a a strategy with with warm path data is essentially you reuse your hot path store. And you have cold path updates of the metadata such that you can then join these things together and have a fairly good confidence um, of building new insights. For example, if you wanted to, in my situation, if I wanted to know which customers were down in near real time, as long as the, the customer didn't sign up in the last two days, I can do that. And a lot of times, that's a that's a valuable and a reasonable miss. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, and and that's probably fair. Is cold path definite definition we can all agree with? Uh, hot path we agree with as well. A warm path is something in the middle. It depends on. Right. How you want? So that's fine. <laughs> One w- way to and that's true with water as well. If I might digress, because like what maybe warm to me may feel cool or hot to you yes the the you know what one of the things i tell you we we can solve this (laughs) when we're done here let's take a shower together we'll see we'll see what how as long as the check clears first alan (laughs) i'm okay with that (laughs) there's no check there's no check our Um, relationship is based on nothing but trust (laughs) Brent is frantically trying to look at his notes and get back on track. It's my job to not let it be that easy for him. So another way of thinking of, um, I don't know how to incorporate data awareness, but when we talked about data oblivious, data driven, and then data centric, there's another terminology they think is a good synonyms for this one. So data oblivious it's you're driving the business off of intel or off of intuition. Data driven, you're dividing or driving it off of intelligence, 
and data centric off of smartness. Now, define smartness. I was about to say. Several folks will say, hey, isn't intelligence and smart um, synonyms? No. And in the, data, in, the, in the data analytics world, they are not synonyms. They might be in a dictionary. They are not here. So intelligence, as you can think of it, you can think about the difference as sort of book smart versus street That's smart. That's exactly what I was thinking is the difference there. So when you have an intelligent system, you, you're basically book smart. You, you are... You now have the data where, where you are able to confidently um, express what is happening and to some degree express why it's happening. Um, when, you're in, when you're in the world of smart, you have, able, you have been able to filter out which of those intelligence aspects you generated um, you can automate and drive action with. So intuition, you don't, don't even have the data. In an intelligence phase, you've got gained a mastery of curating the data, but you don't really know which of these data feeds really helps to drive the business or any customer set sense within the business. And then when you're in a world of, of smartness, you not only know which ones drive the business, but you've, you've begun to leverage that data and automate that data. So let Removing me, the, the people aspect of There's of an interesting, uh, I'll paraphrase, but this time in, with an interesting, maybe insight, maybe stupid comment. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But in the first step, it's intuition only. And then you're sort of, you swing the pendulum all the way and it's all just like data only. And smartness, this street smartness comes from being able to combine intuition with that data. Yes, with and connect it to validated outcomes. Like you've, but to you've, me, that's, that's connection of intuition and hard data. No, you, so you can connect intuition with hard data. Yes, that's intelligence. But then connecting it to proof that responding to intelligence actually moves things forward. One of the biggest challenges, um, there, are, there are the two biggest challenges that I've been encountered from data science teams themselves. Number one, I have produced uh, world-class brilliant insights and no one is using it. Okay, and this is this is a common phenomenon. Um, people will leave their data science team because of this. And the second one is all I do is reports. Right. So, the the value proposition to get to smartness is you got to get people to use it. If they're not using it, then you're in the wrong path. I agree. And that usage criteria. If people are asking you for a lot of reports and they are, um, and you're generating a lot of insights, you're in the intelligence phase and you're working through how to get to, to smart. A lot of data scientists will come out of school, for example, and they've been told by their professors, oh, when you join a data science team, it's all about ML. Um, and it can be. 
that because we're in a phase in worldwide where where there's sort of a shortage of data science teams and a lot of organizations are trying to build this up most teams aren't at, most companies aren't fully at the smart phase there are a whole bunch of them but most aren't so i see and perhaps I think you'll agree with me, although maybe you've lost sight of this. And the data data science fairly new profession. People come out of school with degrees that didn't even exist a while back. They used to be called just statisticians, or right. and but being able to apply what they do to provide value to an organization is critical. But I've interviewed, I was going to say hundreds, maybe thousands, but definitely hundreds and hundreds of people at Microsoft from very good universities with very impressive degrees. And these people were all intelligent in your definition, but not, but not, I shouldn't say all of them. Many of them were in very, very intelligent, but not very smart. This is a good parallel for you talking about with data science, software developers who wrote papers on algorithms, but actually couldn't figure out how to apply them. I'm not talking about making the right code at the whiteboard, just talking through, like, how do you think through solving a problem with code was something they never, just they couldn't make the connection. And the same thing with, uh, I see software testers who can't, maybe they have certifications or whatever. They've, they know a lot of facts. They know to bring up things like boundaries and performance, and but they don't, know how to apply those things to actually test something well. There's a connection that has to happen to be successful between this background, these tools you have, and being able to actually apply them in a meaningful way. And that's true with any knowledge work, but there's that yep. connection. And, and data science is sort of on the edge of the, the same place that other professions have been where you people have this background they're like you should be able to do this but you're just not being successful at it you're not crossing that bridge but i've studied machine learning and i know how to use r but there's a leap from there to actually doing the work that provides value to your org um moving something by by using that knowledge right yeah the um the other thing that's just as an aside most of the people that I interview for a data science position are PhDs, and um, ah, professional students. Yeah, there's there is a challenge with with those folks. Um, I, I don't know if, if you were aware. I learned this uh, just in the last year that most PhDs are encouraged by, say, their prior sponsors to stay in academia and heavily encouraged. It's, it's almost viewed as um, a desertion if you go into industry. So there's a big discussion between academia and industry. And um, academia is, has I, a lot of value. I'm on the, uh, I talk about this a lot. I'm on the board for, um, the alumni board for my university's School of Arts and Humanities, which is... Um, a different side. It's not in the computer science software world, computer science side of the world. But one of the things we discuss a lot is uh, the ability to basically what I just talked about before the ability to apply uh, critical thinking to knowledge work versus just the, staying on the theoretical side versus the practical side. And we need people to bridge that. Yes, we do. The academia is really good. At pushing the edge, um, they have a whole engine around uh, 
not only masters but uh, uh, PhD students looking at the current body of research and creating new original work. And the general way that you create a new original work is you look to see where there's unanswered open questions. This this leads them to to push forward on the theory. Um, and so some of these folks come in and they've spent the better part of the last eight years with that is their personal culture. And so when they come into industry, um, I spend a lot of time looking through great, uh, like here's one, here's 50% of my interview uh, in one single question. Great, how can I use that? That's fantastic. How can I use that? Okay. Um, they struggle with that. Yeah. At least, uh, I want to get back on track here, uh, but at least once a year, there's a PhD paper on uh, someone who solved the problem of making bug-free software, and they have an, some method, whether it's an analysis tool or a new programming language that eliminates the functional bugs from their software but they're just oblivious to the fact that the software they're describing in their paper is nothing anyone would want to use and we've talked about where quality comes from people wanting to use the software whether it has bugs not quality is value and you can make a bug-free program that has no value therefore no quality um the other thing too though because when you say they want to use, there's an element of proactivity. The nice thing with, with the data space is as you build up the assets and as you are working towards making your analyses more truthful um, and simpler, then whether or not they want to use it, if you socialize it correctly, it becomes more actionable, and you can essentially force their hand on using it. Most people, when you have, when they have a belief like, um, by shipping this feature, we will grow customer engagement by blah blah blah. If you can show them the data that says that does not appear to be true, um. Data well articulated defeats intuition almost all of the time. Correct. So let me let me do a couple things. First and foremost, we talked about how do you know when you get to data centric. When you get to data, the way you know you get to data driven is you are doing a lot of what's known in the statistical world as hypothesis testing. And what a hypothesis test is, is you, you've trained people to state their beliefs in the form of a sentence. So much like what I just said, this feature will increase customer engagement by 50%. Then, so the PM or whoever's working on it will continue on building their features but then they're going to work with you to figure out, okay, what's the data that needs to be done or generated in order to prove or disprove that hypothesis? 
Okay, this is different than, say, the GQM model that Tess was informed as, as the brilliant way of going years ago. Goal question metric by Victor Basili. What I want to do, I guess, in the remaining minutes is I want to walk through sort of the phases. Since we're talking about how do you know when you got there, I want to walk through. There is... Jog through. Jog through. Gallop through. Um, the phases of, of, of data analytics maturity. Now, here I'm going to talk about abstract stuff. Again, the principles we talked about last time around starting with what you have and building from that, solidifying that, then build again is the right approach here. Don't swing all the way over to any sort of these North Stars. So the first phase is what's known as measure. And in, when you're in the measurement phase, Really, what you are able to do is answer what questions. What? What feature is the most popular? Exactly. What customer pays us the most? What um, useful feature is... uh, And and combinations of those. Um, One of the things, a tool that I've used in... When we're in this phase, I call it REAL, and it's an acronym. What it stands for is Reliability, Engagement, Availability, Latency. So if you can pull together an asset that measures those four things, it generally isn't a challenge to um, get dev bought in. And it also isn't a challenge to... um, provide useful value. So you're using existing data, you're being reactive, you're not being proactive, you're basically saying, hey, Dev, that feature you shipped yesterday, here's what the the real report shows. Okay, so, uh, Reliability? Reliability, engagement, engagement, availability, and latency. What's the difference between reliability and availability? Uh, let me go through them all. Okay. Reliability is a measure of the frequency in which failures occur. Okay. Okay. Engagement. How often it's being used. Is, yeah. It's, By it, how many people. So engagement is a measure of the priority of this path. Okay. Okay. So if, whether it's used or not. Availability. So if reliability is a measure of the frequency in which things are occurring availability is a measure of the consequence of failures. Got it. So the, the way you measure... Is it just an API failure or did the site become completely unresponsive? Uh, the, typically, the way you measure availability will be by downtime. Okay, this failure occurred. Uh, these, these machines were dam- down for two hours or two days. Okay? And then latency is essentially... Uh, a measure of the success path. Hey, when everything's working, is it zippy or is it painfully slow? Yep. Okay. So these four things together, um, really useful. Um, then the biggest thing you can do in the measure phase is automate this, the visualization of this data end to end, such that whoever using it, typically developers don't have to come to you and 
ask for this report. You just you, you've strung it together. You've worked through it. You've you've talked with Dev and found out that this is fact, the truth. They began to leverage it. Okay, got it. The next phase. Now, great, you can answer what questions. Um, the next thing is that people will start ask, want, wanting to diagnose how to fix that. So you have, you have all of these uh, services. They're all failing. Dev wants to know what's the pattern. So you, being able to drill down your aggregates and diagnose it is the next one. Here, you want to be able to automate drilled in an exploration in that context. And, but your goal is to enable human beings to do the root cause analysis. You do want to automate what's known as the Pareto order. So as you work through de with Dev to figure out how to automate uh, this process and how they investigate it, you're going to learn new knowledge and you'll learn that they have common patterns. And then you can automate the Pareto order of the impact. You now have the data so you can create a new report that, sh that says these are the things that should be worked on next. And that's extremely valuable. The next phase is known as predict and optimize. So now you have all of this data. You, you now want to be able to not react but how do you know when you're about to encounter a reliability problem? Generally, there's other signals, perf counters, um, traffic uh, changes that you can use to sort of predict these outcomes. This enables you to answer um, not only why questions very confidently, but also what if questions. So you begin to be able to predict the future. Okay. Ooh, predicting things is hard, especially about the future. And with the what if questions, you now are able to uh, address, hey, given two choices of the next steps, which choice should I take? Okay, good. And the next step, which is, is there, how many more are there? Three more. Operationalize and integrate. What this means is data is easily integrated across all teams. Um, and here we're uh, decisions can be made on multiple different fronts. As you go through this, though, I started off talking about with quality of service, the type of data that that um, us as testers are, are accustomed to. Why do things fail? Bugs, right? Um, here, between then and now, you're going to want to incorporate customer and business data. I will tell you, nothing drives an action with a developer better than the ability to file a bug and say this bug cost the business this amount of money and be able to state it with confidence. Then after that, once the data is operationalized and integrated, then you'll start getting into um, what's known as automated decision making. This is the NRT stuff that we're talking about, event-driven decisions, Plugging the ML, instead of the ML being something that drives decisions with humans, you plug the ML into a product. Right. For example, just to interject, even though we're a little short on time, is that right now uh, our product gets released through rings of deployment, pretty common. And that is always a human decision at this point, combined with data. Yep. But that could very well, and I want it to be purely automated based on data. And then the very last 
step is a lot of people you will hear them talking about data democratization. No, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. Okay, a lot of people in my neck of the woods is okay, data democratization. Well, whatevs. And this is essentially meaning the data that comes from the service, it's democratized. Anyone can easily use it. It's, it's a key part to the operationalized and integration step. Like I wanna, I'm going to add a survey to the <laughs> Slack channel and ask, how many of you use the term or hear the term data democratization in your daily work? The last phase, which is known as transform, is around knowledge democratization. So we talked about the difference between intelligence and smart. You mm-hmm. need to have data democratization in order to reach the intelligence. When you're smart, is you now have curated assets that allows you to democratize the knowledge gained. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Is democratization too big of a word for you? Not too big for me. Okay. And then... Hey, we just got, got just a minute left, but I want to make sure we cover one item as teased earlier from the mailbag. Uh, we got a question from Michael Rocha. He asks, what resources, articles, white papers exist on data-driven testing? Um, unfortunately, simple question, and unfortunately, I have a simple answer. Um, I'm sure they exist. There's none of them that I'm aware of. Um, But if I were to begin looking at this, I would look into the concept of testing in production. Just search, just just do some uh, binging, some Googling? I would do some binging on effective means for testing in production. We've We've talked in the past that testing in production does not mean you move your test cases to the cloud. Um, it's the testing in production done right is heavily driven off of data emitted from the product. Um, that's where I would start. The stuff we talked about in episode forty-four is a bit different. It's sort of testing in production when you don't have production. Got it. Okay. There's our episode. There it is. Hey, everybody, don't forget to re-swizzle your thingamabob or whatever Jim Moore had to say. Oh, right. In, in his, um, his star, is the, the star promo code still active? Should we do a, a reminder of this? Sure. You can go to, if you go to the star to register, you can use the code AB testing and get $200 off. All right, then. All right. Hey, everybody, I'm still Alan Barely. And I am confidently Brent. And we'll see you next time. Bye.